Let's pray. God, we come to you and we are so thankful for each week when we come and we hear your word and we're taught a little bit more, we're reminded of your truth, how to live, what you have for us, we're reminded of your power and, and your work in and through our lives. So we just pray that as we open ourselves to this time, Lord, that we would remember that our faith, our being followers of Christ, when we choose to follow Christ, that that makes a difference for our present and for our future. And so bless us in this time as we hear, we learn, and hopefully apply, Lord. We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. So we say together our, our theme verse, Acts 1.8, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so we remember these words from Jesus that Jesus tells us, I'm going to send my spirit when I leave. That spirit's going to fill you. That spirit's going to help you live. And that spirit's going to help you to remember my message and share my message with others. When I was in high school, I remember thinking about the need to go to college and you know, thinking about that process. You go to elementary school, you go to junior high, you go to high school, and then you go to college so that you can get a degree and so that you can get a good job and then I could... Uh, provide for a, a wife and children, and I could lead the, the kind of life I wanted to live, right? And so you, you try to think about how it's all going to go. You try to map it all out. You try to have it all planned. And you think, okay, this is what I'm going to do, and life is just going to be so great, right? Now, in a sense, that sounds good. This scenario sounds good, but it's actually misguided. See, the focus, as I was thinking about, was all about me. And I forgot to think about God, that we are created to live in relationship with God and to live for God. You might remember from the Westminster Confession, there's a question that says, what is the chief end of man? In other words, why are we put here on earth? What is our purpose here on earth? What is the chief end? And the answer that the Westminster Confession gives that comes from Scripture is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. If you ever wondered, what is my purpose in life? This is why we were created, to glorify God and to joy, enjoy Him forever. And when we don't do that in our life, then we're going to be frustrated. We're going to feel lost. We're going to not have purpose in our life. We're going we're to struggle because we were created to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And when we glorify God with our life and we enjoy Him in our life, then we will be at peace. We will be walking the path that God has for us. We will enjoy the life God created us to live. And our present will make sense, and our future will make sense, and life will come together as God made it to be. So this is kind of what I want to talk about this morning, about understanding our purpose of why God created us and what we are called to do. Now, earlier in the book of Acts, you might remember that at one point, Paul promised the Ephesians that he would return and visit them again. And when we come to Acts chapter 19, this is what is happening. Paul is returning now to Ephesus, and he is spending some time with them. He's actually going to spend two years there, and he's going to be teaching and preaching and leading and discipling. And while he's there, he asks them the question, are you filled with the Holy Spirit? See, now Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit 
He taught about the Holy Spirit. A lot of that is in the Gospel of John, chapters 14 and 16. And he, and he talked about when he left, the Holy Spirit would come, that he needed to leave, and then the Spirit would come, and the Spirit would fill the people, and he would guide them and instruct them and empower them and rebuke them and, and do all those things. That would be the role of the Holy Spirit. But at this point, many believers still did not fully understand the Holy Spirit. I mean, well, a lot of us don't even fully understand the Holy Spirit, right? We struggle. What is the role of the Holy Spirit? And, and am I filled with the Holy Spirit? So he's asking them if they've been filled with the Holy Spirit. See, Paul, later on, when he writes the Ephesians, he writes this to them in chapter 1, verse 13. And whenever you see the yellow part, reminder, please read with me. And Paul says, And you were also included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. And so we, Paul says, when you accept Jesus as your Savior and as your Lord, when you say, Lord, I, Jesus, I want you in my life, when you pray that prayer, when you confess your sins, then Paul says the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the Holy Spirit will fill you. Now, here's an interesting thing in the Scripture. Sometimes the people didn't really sense the feeling of the Holy Spirit. They, they didn't understand that. And, and so sometimes it took a laying on of hands and someone to pray for them, Lord, fill this person with your Spirit. And then the Holy Spirit would fill them. So you ask yourself the question, how do I know if I'm filled with the Holy Spirit? So let me give you a few questions you might ask yourself to, to get a sense, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? You might ask yourself a question, do I bring forth the fruit of the Spirit? Am I led by the Spirit? Do I walk in the Spirit? Now, if you were to see an apple tree, you would know it's an apple tree. How? Because the apple tree produces what kind of fruit? Oranges, right? No, it produces apples, right? An apple tree produces apples, so therefore you know it's an apple tree. If it produced oranges, it wouldn't be an apple tree, it would be an orange tree. And so we as followers of Christ, how do we know that we are filled with the Spirit? We produce the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Those things, that seed of the fruit of the Spirit is in us. Is it germinating? Is it bearing fruits? Some of you may say, yeah, maybe. I have peace, but I don't have patience, right? I have love, but I don't know if I'm always gentle. The interesting thing about the fruit of the Spirit is it's not fruits of the Spirit. A lot of times people say fruits of the Spirit. No, it's fruit of the Spirit. You don't have some of the fruit and not others, right? I have love, joy, and peace, but I don't have patience and kindness. And no, it's fruit of the Spirit. You get that seed, that seed's planted in you, and you have all of the fruit. It's all there. It'd be somehow like someone planted a tree and it had apples and oranges and lemons all on the tree, right? All together. And maybe they come in different seasons and so maybe you see the apples and the oranges but the lemons haven't blossomed yet, right? And that's kind of what's going on in our life. We have all of the fruit in the Spirit. We might want to think about all those fruit of the Spirit and say, is that being exhibited in my life? That's how you know that the fruit, that the Spirit, Holy Spirit is really filling you and working in and through your life. 
And then also the Bible tells us when we have the Holy Spirit, we have the gifts of the Spirit, right? And so there's certain gifts that each one of us has, and we are to, to recognize those gifts. Maybe you have the gift that helps, or maybe you have the gift of teaching, or maybe you have the gift of, of prophecy, being able to proclaim the truth of God. Maybe you have those gifts, and, and how are you utilizing those gifts? They're in you. Are you manifesting them or allowing God to manifest them in your life? This is how you know that you are filled with the Spirit and that Spirit is active and alive in your life. And so we see Paul in chapter 19, verse 6. Read the yellow with me. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. See, right away, you see the Spirit being manifested in their lives. It was visual, and it was obvious that they were filled with the Spirit. Bless you. May the Spirit of God be filled in you. All the more this day. And it's very evident that the Spirit of God filled them, and they began to speak in tongues and prophesy. Now, I have had many people who I've sought to share uh, the gospel with, sought to um, share Jesus with. And uh, this includes my brother. I've tried to share Jesus with my brother. And my brother's always been open to hearing about my work and, and hearing about my faith. But somehow he hasn't made, it, made that connection between my faith and Jesus being my Savior and Lord and him needing Jesus to be his Savior and Lord. They say that family probably is the most difficult to witness to, Right? And that's become true with my brother and my sister. Uh, maybe it's because my, my mom and dad stopped taking us to church when we were young. And, and later on, I went to church, but my, my, my mom and dad later went to church again too. But my brother and sister never went back to church. And so you see this kind of obstinance in them, right? It's like you share with them, but they're kind of uh, you know, standoffish. They kind of put that off. They're like, that's good that you talk about it. That's good for you, but you know, that's not for me. But what's important is that it doesn't matter how obstinate people are, we're going to learn that it is important for us to keep persevering. In Acts chapter 19, verse 8, it says that Paul spoke persuasively for three months in the synagogue, and he was determined to teach them about salvation and Jesus. And then we go to verses 9 to 10. But some of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. Now, when you see the, the phrase the way, that stands for uh, Christ followers. The, the followers of Christ at that time were called the way. So Paul left them. He took his disciples with him, and he had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for two years so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of the Lord. Two more years after he left the synagogue and he started teaching in the lecture hall, two more years he kept preaching and teaching. Why? Because he wanted to make sure that everyone in the province heard about Jesus. He wasn't discouraged by those who were obstinate. I'm going to keep doing it, he said. I mean, if, as we read through the book of Acts, you can understand that you've seen time and 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 time again Paul faces obstacles, but it doesn't deter him. He keeps preaching the gospel. Why? Because it is, he knows it's the most important message that he could ever speak. He knows it's the truth. He knows that there's no more important decision than anyone in their life than they can accept Jesus as their Savior and Lord 
Because how can we fulfill our chief purpose of which we've been created without Jesus being in our life? And he knows that, and so he is determined to make sure that he keeps teaching it so that people will hear it. Even when they're obstinate, he wants them to hear it. He wants the Spirit to break through and touch people's hearts and, and for them to receive Jesus as their Savior and Lord. May we have this kind of persevering spirit. We cannot let ourselves get frustrated. We cannot let ourselves get discouraged. We are doing this for the Lord. We are doing this for the truth of God. We are doing this for the purpose of which we've been created. We are doing this for the purpose of which Jesus has saved us. We should never stop doing it. Over the last few weeks, I've shared with you some of the wonderful things that God has done in and through my life. I've had the blessing of praying with people and praying over people and see them be healed right there in the moment. I've had opportunities where I've prayed for people and evil spirits have left them. And I've prayed for people's houses and evil spirits have left their houses. Now I tell you this not to lift myself up. I tell you this because I want you to know that God works in and through those who seek to be faithful to him. God works in and through those who say, God, I want to be your servant. God, I'm in this situation. This person needs to be healed. I'm not a pastor. I'm not an evangelist. I'm not whatever. I'm not a professor at a seminary. I can't do this, Lord. No. I tell you this because I want you to know that God works through all of his followers who trust in him because it is not the power of you or me that makes this happen. It is the power of God. And for some reason, he said, I'm going to use you as my tool. I'm going to use you as my vessel. I'm going to put you in this place at this time, and I'm going to ask you to do this prayer. And then I'm going to take my power, and I'm going to put it in you, and somehow it's going to go from you to them, and it's going to heal them. Isn't that amazing? That God chooses to use you and me in that way? He doesn't have this hierarchy like, this person, yes, this person, yes. this person, no, I'm not going to. No, if you're a believer in Jesus and you want to be used by God, he will use you. That, the Bible promises that to us, that he will use us in those situations. If he puts us in a situation, he will empower us and enable us to do what he calls us to do every time. Now, we'll see that people have different responses to when uh, Paul was teaching and doing some great things. And we, uh, we read about it, uh, Aaron read for us, but let us read it again. God did extraordinary miracles through Paul, so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick, and their illnesses were cured, and the evil spirits left them. I mean, that kind of shows you even more that it wasn't Paul, Right? I mean, that's the power of God. Somehow Paul touched these aprons and touched these handkerchiefs and these went to the, the sick and they got healed just by touching that which Paul had touched because God had used Paul to touch these to somehow put the power of God on them and they received them and they were healed. Amazing. The evil spirits were leaving, the sick were being cured. Why? Not because of Paul, but because of God, right? Not because of Paul, because of God. Now, as you, hear this, uh, as you hear this, you might want to lift Paul up and say, oh, Paul is this great servant, and I could never be like Paul. God would never do through me what God did 
through Paul. You might want to sell yourself short, but you know what? God believes in you because God knows it's not just about you. It's about your faithfulness and about your willingness, and it's about his power, not your power. It's about his glory, not your glory. So if you ever do anything and someone tries to give you the glory, oh, thank you, thank you, thank you for doing that, you should immediately say, no, it's Jesus. It's because Jesus died on the cross for your sins. It's because Jesus raised from the dead. It's because Jesus is in heaven. It's because Jesus is our mediator in heaven. It's because Jesus chooses to use me as his servant, as his tool, as his vessel to do his work. Give God the glory. I think you remember, or hopefully you remember, the story that I told you about one of my former members at Long Beach. Her name was Margaret Jones. Remember, she was in the hospital. Her family was there. The doctor said no more could be happening. They thought that she was going to die. I went to the hospital. I prayed with the family. I prayed with Margaret. And now 15 years later, Margaret's still alive, walking around, doing great things, still living for the Lord. Now, there's been times when people have tried to give me the glory. Wow, what a great prayer. That was so nice that you prayed for her. That you... No, it's not me. It's God. It's all God. It's God that she was healed. It's because of God that she is still alive, living as she is living. It's all about the glory of God. So easy as people to want to take on those accolades, right? Your shoulders get a little higher. Your head gets a little higher. Your head gets a little bigger, right? Yeah, man, my prayers are powerful, aren't they? I'm pretty awesome. No. That's where we go wrong. That's the pride of selfishness. That's a pride, uh, the, the sin of selfishness, the sin of pride comes upon us. And so we read in verses 19 and 20, a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, they were very expensive. The toll came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. See, Paul was preaching. He was convicted them. They were looking at the things they were doing. They were realizing that what they were doing, what they were following, what they were practicing was wrong. And not only did they walk away from those, but they said, you know, this is wrong. This is bad. I am going to burn them so they're not even a part of my life anymore. Not even a part of my life anymore. You see how this works. You humble yourself before Jesus. And the Holy Spirit touches your heart and draws you to him. And then you say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness for my sins. I need your cleansing from my sins. I need you to be my Savior, to save me. Not just here on this earth now, but for eternity. I need your power working in and through my life. And then God fills you with the Spirit, and then God uses you in wonderful in mighty and miraculous ways. And your heart is changed, and your heart is transformed, and you begin to live for Christ. And you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit of God, the, the works of the Spirit are evident in your life. And yet, even in the midst of this, we see disturbances happen. Disturbances happen in our world, too, don't they? I mean, all the kind, there, there are people picketing, right? Haven't you seen that? People go around picket for all kinds of things, right? People have a cause, and they picket for their cause because they want their, their message to be heard. They want their cause to be known, right? 
And our, our Constitution allows for this as long as that there's not rioting or there's not uh, violent disturbances. People are allowed to picket and are allowed to make their message known, lift up their cause. I mean, people picket for all kinds of things like uh, abortion, right? Or gun rights, or women's rights, or prayer in schools, all kinds of things. Now, whether you're for or against any of that, my question, though, is, do any of those causes, do any of those issues have eternal impact on our future? And the answer is no. I mean, why those causes all are valuable and, and have their, their merit. There's only one issue that impacts us eternally, and that is Jesus Christ. Now, I stand up here, and you might think that I'm a broken record, right? Because every week I talk about Jesus. Why do I talk about Jesus every week? Because there is no more important subject than Jesus. Without Jesus, we would not be here as Christ followers. We would not be a church. We would not be in the will of God. Without Jesus, we would not be able to live the way God calls us to live. Without Jesus, we would not have hope for our future. And even better, hope for our present. Without Jesus, we would not have the power of God at work in and through our lives. Without Jesus, we would be lost in our sin. So Jesus is so important that I keep talking about Jesus. And, and isn't that what Paul did too? I mean, everywhere Paul went, he talked about who? Jesus, right? He talked about Jesus. In verse 23... About that time, there rose a great disturbance about the way. So Paul goes around and he preaches about Jesus. And what happens? Some people believe, some people burn scrolls, but others what? A disturbance is caused. They're upset that, that Paul is talking about Jesus. But even more, there's something else going on here in Ephesus. Paul is preaching Jesus. He's leading people to Christ. And they're no longer wanting to follow the false gods. And they're putting aside all those things that they once followed because now they're following Jesus. They want Jesus. They see that these other things cannot lead them to salvation. They understand that these other things cannot make a difference, really, in their life. And so they put aside all these things that they understand are not real gods. Now, the effect is that the silver makers who are making the idols that these people were worshiping were losing business. Now, you can imagine this, right? If you start to affect someone's business, what's going to happen? They're going to get very angry, right? They're going to look at that and they say, this is Paul's fault. It's because of you that I'm losing business. It's because of you that I'm no longer able to make the money I once made. And it's not just the silver makers. There's all these other tradesmen around that are, are working together to build these idols. And so now all of these businesses are being affected. And they're all getting upset. But they wanted them not just to be upset at what was going on. They wanted them to all be upset at Paul. Because they thought if we get upset enough at Paul and we all work together, then we can get rid of Paul and then we can go back to this. But there's even one more thing that was upsetting them. Verse 27. 
They were saying, there is danger not only that our trade will lose its good name, but also that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will be discredited. Read with me. And the goddess herself, who is worshipped throughout the province of Asia and the world, will be robbed of her divine majesty. Now, if ever you want to really persuade someone to act, what do you do? You create fear. You ever notice that? Like a new medication comes out, and how do they get you to want to buy it? They create fear. Without this pill, you will die. Oh, my. I need that pill. In fact, I was watching. I don't even remember what it was. I was watching some ad the other day, and that came on, and I was like, for a moment, that, that happened to me. I was like, oh, we need that. And then I was like, wait a minute. I don't need that. They're just making me think I need that. Because if they can cause fear in my life, and they create me to say, I have to have this, then I'll go out and buy it, right? And that's what they were doing here. They were trying to create fear. If we don't do something, then this is what's going to happen, and we'll no longer be able to, to worship Artemis. And so the people became angry, and they were fearful. And verse 28 says that the tradesmen responded, or the people responded just as the tradesmen hoped they would. It says, when they heard this, they were furious and began shouting, great is Artemis of the Ephesians. And so they're creating this, this uh, being upset. And then now, if you keep reading in the scripture, confusion started to come about. We're told that some were shouting one thing and some were shouting another and the confusion just increased everyone's anger. And the confusion increased everyone's concern. And the confusion made them want to act all the more against Paul and his companions. The truth is, the reason why they were confused, the reason why they were fearful, the reason why they were angry was because they didn't have a clear understanding of what was important. They didn't understand that Artemis would not give them salvation. They didn't understand that this false god would do for them what they really wanted to be done. And isn't that true in the world? People are looking for answers. People are looking for purpose. People are looking for something to save them. People are looking and longing and searching. And they think they've found it. And then all of a sudden you introduce Jesus to them. And they're resistant. Why? Because it's like, no, 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 no. If I, if I change, then, then I won't have my solution. This, this, I finally found my solution. This is it. Now, when you encounter people like that, I want to encourage you to, to sincerely listen to their, to their thoughts, to their beliefs, to their, their concerns. Don't just put it off. Don't just say, oh, that's nothing, or that's stupid, or that, that won't, won't save you. Or, you, know, you don't want to dis credit or discount right away what they believe or what they think. You want to dialogue with them. You want them to slowly understand why this isn't true, why this, this false God won't save you. And this is why Jesus will save you. And sometimes that takes a lot of time and a lot of conversation with someone and a lot of trust being built up in someone's life. But as we go back to the obstinate people and the persevering spirit, we need to, to 
love people in that way and be persevering in sharing Christ with others, that Jesus is the only way worth following and the only one who can truly save them and help them understand their purpose. And so that's what Paul was doing, wasn't he? He was causing commotion, he was causing confusion, and in that, a lot of people were believing because they were starting to question what they had been following, what they had believed. And sometimes it's actually good to cause commotion in someone's life. Someone's, sometimes it's good to cause commotion in their life because they start to wonder, is what I'm doing, is the way I'm living, is that really the right way? Let me give you a situation. When I was in college, um, I started dating a girl who was not a Christian. Now, if any of you are not married, I, I want to encourage you strongly, don't date non-Christians, okay? Because this is the reason why I tell you this. Because more often than not, I've seen non-Christians pull Christians away from their faith then Christians bring non-Christians into the faith. And so oftentimes, people will date a non-Christian thinking, I'm just going to make him a Christian, and then everything will be good. And the next thing you know, they're not going to church anymore, and they're not really strong in their faith anymore. Well, I didn't listen to my advice, so I dated a non-Christian. <laughs> and so we were dating, and it, the relationship was going fine. And one day, I went to her house, and I was visiting her at a house. And she showed me how her brother had this satanic Bible. And I looked at this thing, and there was part of me that wanted to open it up and read it, right? I mean, a curiosity, right? But what did they say about curiosity? Curiosity killed the cat, right? So I didn't open it, and I didn't read it, thank the Lord. But I realized that she had some serious influences around her that could pull her away in a very bad way. And so I started to create some confusion and some commotion in her life. And in those, that time of commotion and confusion, we started to dialogue about Jesus. And then I started to take her to church, and in time, she accepted Jesus as her Savior and Lord. Now, we broke up, but uh, the better thing was that she became a Christian, right? And then the better thing was that I found Tammy, and I got married to Tammy, right? Now, I don't want you to use this as a, as a, a way of evangelizing all the time. Don't, don't say... I'm going to cause commotion in your life and you're going to thank me for it. <laughs> That's not always the answer, okay? That's not, it shouldn't be your number one evangelistic uh, tool. But sometimes people are really kind of lost in their way. And sometimes you might cause commotion, not purposely, but just by telling them about Jesus, it will cause confusion and commotion in their life. But it will lead them to the place where they start to question They'll start to dialogue, they'll start to wonder, and then you'll have an opening to share Jesus with them. Now, in our day and age, it's really interesting because when you do that, more often than not, you'll get anger from people, won't you? When you cause confusion or commotion in their life and you start to tell them about Jesus, oftentimes people get angry at you. Who are you to tell me that Jesus is the only way? Who are you to tell me that my way, my thinking is wrong? And they'll get angry. And I encourage you at that time, just you know, back off a little bit, love them all the more, and you'll have more opportunities to just share Jesus with them. And usually those opportunities come when there's serious issues going on in their life, right? And you walk alongside them, and you walk in love with them, and then in that time, there's an opportunity for you to share Jesus a little bit more. 
See, the only real thing that affects our eternal future is Jesus. But what is even better is Jesus affects our present as well. In having Jesus in your life, you get peace. In having Jesus in your life, you are filled all the more with the love of God, the true love. And when you taste of that love, then you so much want to share that love with others. In having Jesus in your life, you begin to make more positive and better decisions in your life. When you have Jesus in your life, you will start to understand your purpose and why your life is important and how you can make a difference in this world. And so I pray that we would just fully receive Jesus this day and then commit to say, Jesus, even though I face obstinate people, even though I face angry people, even though I face confused people, even though I face people who are so against Jesus, I will persevere and I will continue on. And I will share my faith whenever I have the opportunity. Let's pray.